Heavenly Father, we recognize that we are a handful of the multitudes that have gathered in places of worship like this today throughout the world. Your children that have been saved by grace through faith in a resurrected Savior. I pray, Lord, you would be gracious with us this morning. That your Spirit would help us understand the impact and the magnitude, the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, has on us today has had on your church for all of human history and will have on that day when he comes in glory. Help us to see more than just the historical fact of the resurrection. Equip us this morning by your Spirit, Father, to see that we, in fact, because he was raised from the dead, can be born again. That we can have real hope, Father, in this life and in the next. And a clarity of purpose that enables us to go day in and day out knowing that we live for your glory and not our own. Father, I ask that you would be pleased to bring yourself honor this morning, that you would use our time together to convict, to encourage, to draw us near to you. Show us the death that Christ suffered that we might see the resurrection we enjoy in him. I pray, Father, for a blessing upon all who are here, saved and unsaved, and that you would be faithful to communicate clearly the gospel of grace, that we might leave here collectively knowing you and loving you and being loved by you. We're so thankful, Father, you sent your Son to die and to rise that we too might have life. Encourage us this morning with that simple truth, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The title of the sermon is Transformed by the Resurrection. Um, Every single year around this time, late March, early April, um, millions of people throughout the world literally gather in places just like this to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, They do so in part because the resurrection of Christ is an historical fact. It is something that even modern day scholars have have come to argue that if Christ did not raise from the dead, we're left with lots of holes in human history, specifically the first century Mediterranean culture. We know that Jesus rose from the dead because we have good historical evidence for that. After his death and resurrection, there were literally hundreds who saw him. Many heard him, many touched him. We have eyewitnesses to the account and and literally dozens of those who could have testified to the contrary if in fact he had still been in the grave. It's impossible, scholars argue today, to understand the the belief in the apostles, the fact that they would give their lives for a lie if Jesus in fact did not rise from the dead. How the early church testified and suffered and were persecuted for this simple truth. In fact, Modern-day scholars who are not Christians say that it's impossible to understand the New Testament, the commitment of the early church, and the church for 2,000 years if, in fact, Jesus did not rise from the dead. We know he rose from the dead, and we celebrate that today. This morning, as, we, as we've gathered to recognize the resurrection of Jesus Christ, um, I would like to do more than just uh, talk about the historical fact that he, that he did rise Um, I would like for us to look as a church, I'd like for us to look at the impact the resurrection is supposed to have on mankind. 
how it's supposed to impact those who repent and believe and become followers of this resurrected man, those who put their faith in him, going beyond just saying, yes, it's an historical fact that Jesus rose, but what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? And what does it mean for God's church? In, in his letter to the church in Rome, the reason I, I settled on Romans 6, I haven't preached on it yet in the context of Easter, so it's kind of good for those of you who have been here for 20 plus years. You said, oh, he's not going to redo an Easter sermon, right? That's no fun for anybody. Um, so I haven't done this yet. Paul, the Apostle Paul is an eyewitness. He saw Christ in his resurrected form. So we have a, a firsthand account of someone who can testify to that. And what he, what he shares with us here in these first 11 verses of Romans 6 about the resurrection is really insightful. It's really encouraging as well, and I hope you're encouraged by it. So the Apostle Paul, he, after he establishes in his letter in the first five chapters, he establishes the fact that mankind universally is fallen, that we have all sinned, that we have all moved away from God. He then argues that God is the universal judge and that God will judge the living and the dead, that he will judge all unrighteousness. And then he begins to talk in, ver- in chapters 4 and 5 about this free gift, this gift of salvation that comes to all who repent and believe and put their faith in who? In the resurrected Savior. In fact, he says in Romans chapter 5, verse 15, he talks about this gift. He said, the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many die by the trespass of the one man, speaking of Adam, that's original sin coming into the world and destroying all mankind. He said, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? So just as sin permeated, how much more did the grace of God through Christ permeate and save millions? And then he opens Romans 6, talking about the impact of this one man's work, of this resurrection gift that's given, the impact that it's had throughout the history of the church, and the impact it's supposed to have on us today. If we know Christ, it should have that impact on us today. These first 11 verses, I want you to be extremely encouraged this morning. If you do not know Christ, if you, do, if you know Christ, if you don't know Christ, I pray that today you'd repent and believe. You say, if this is true, this is so good, I want to be part of it. I don't want to be left out, and that would be a wise position to take. I want us to consider three things from the passage. Number one, the Christian's new life. Number two, the Christian's new hope. And number three, the Christian's new purpose. For those who follow the resurrected Savior, there's a new life, there's a new hope, and there's a new purpose each and every day that God has given to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if there were a theme of the sermon, it would be this. Jesus' resurrection 2,000 years ago has transformative power today. Jesus' resurrection 2,000 years ago is not just an historical fact. It has real power today for God's people. All right, you ready? Point number one, the Christian's new life. So after revealing the extraordinary power of God's grace over sin, going so far, this is how Paul ends chapter five of Romans. He says with these, he says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Where sin was permeated, grace came and overflowed on top of it. And then Paul asks asks this ridiculous rhetorical question in in Romans 6, verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Are we, speaking of Christians, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He's saying, as Christians, should should we keep sinning so that God's grace can cover our sins? And in his doing that, the world will know 
how gracious he is as a Savior? Paul answers his rhetorical question in verse 2, and he says, by no means. In other words, he's saying, absolutely not. We should not keep on sinning. He said, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And so Paul says, this is really simple. If we've died to sin, then we are not to live in it. We're not to practice it. We're not to pursue it. We are to live holy lives in obedience to God. And then he explains why. Look at verse 3. He said, do you not know that all of us, speaking of Christians, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus are baptized into his death? He says, all of those of us who have been made alive by the Spirit of God, who've recognized the depth of our sin, who've repented, sought forgiveness, received forgiveness, turned for those sins, and are following Christ, we have been baptized into Christ, spiritually baptized when the Holy Spirit comes upon God's people and makes us new and physically baptized in the waters of baptism. Those who do that participate, Paul's saying, in Jesus' baptism, which was a baptism of death, when he ascended the cross and paid for our sins. In other words, Paul's saying, just as Jesus was literally crucified and put to death on the cross, so too are all Christians to die to our old selves. The old man and the old woman is to be put to death because we have died in Christ. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, wait a minute. If I died in Christ when I was baptized by the Holy Spirit, then who am I now? What's my identity now? Look at verse 4. Paul said, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, here it is, wait for it, (laughs) just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In other words, Paul saying, to die with Christ is to be raised with Christ. To die with Christ is to be raised to live what? A new life right now. Not waiting for him to come again. Not waiting for the eternal realm. To be born again to live a new life right now by the power of the Spirit. In fact, the Apostle Peter, he, he aligns himself very closely with Paul on this point. 1 Peter 1.3, listen. Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us, speaking of the church, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, both Paul and Peter make a connection between the resurrection of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago and us, the church today, walking as born-again believers in the newness of life you see when we hear and many today when they celebrate the resurrection of jesus christ when we hear that word resurrection we usually think resuscitation we think someone who's died our old friend lazarus remember lazarus lazarus died jesus waited from the die then he went back and he raises lazarus from the dead that wasn't resurrection that was resuscitation because we know poor old lazarus he had to suffer and die again i mean as blessed as that man was that's horrible he had to die twice Jesus Christ was not simply resuscitated. He was raised to the newness of life. He was raised to a new life entirely where body and spirit worked in perfect harmony to worship God, to obey God, and to serve God now and for eternity. Now we're we're not in our new bodies yet. We're gonna receive that when Christ comes again in glory and what? He judges the living and the dead. Then we will get our new bodies. But what we have here, what Jesus has earned for us here 
through his death and his resurrection, he's earned for us right now a new kind of life, a new power to live out this new kind of life. And it's not just any power, my beloved. The scriptures teach that the very power that God the Father used to raise Jesus from the dead now is in you if you know Christ. That same power that brought him out of the grave, out of the tomb, you have. And therefore you can live an empowered, born-again life. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, the immeasurable greatness of his power, the Father's power, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead is in you. It's in you. You have that ability in Christ. To do what? Look at the latter part of verse four again. That we too might walk in newness of life when? Right now. Today. Tomorrow. And every day until Christ comes again in glory until you see him face to face. If you're in Christ, you have divine, eternal power to live a radically different life. A radically different life than you're used to before you came to a saving grace in Christ. In fact, Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter one, he said, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of what? Of power, of love, and self-control. God's given us a spirit of power to live in obedience to him, a spirit of love, to love God, to love one another, and to love the lost, and a spirit of self-control where we don't have to subject ourselves to the sin of the flesh over and over. That's the power that a believer in Jesus Christ has because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. What a glorious truth, my beloved. And what a glorious truth for us. And what a glorious truth for the world when we consider how desperate mankind is to be born again. Is he not? Are we not in a perpetual state of trying to renew ourselves, trying to make ourselves new, trying to find this newness of life? And, and that makes sense. We all, we all sense and we all experience the brokenness of living in a sinful world, don't we? We are sinners and we live in a sinful world. So we know to one degree or another, all of us, we know what it's like to suffer. We know what disappointment's like. We know confusion. We know what it's like not to be loved. We know pain, all of us. We know injustice. And eventually, we will all know death. Each and every one of us. This is the common plight for all mankind because all mankind is subject to sin. For some of us, it's broken relationships that weigh most on us. It's our marriages or our children or our grandchildren or our friends that brings the greatest weight and suffering on us. For others, it's, it's physical or, or psychological suffering. We, we have chronic fatigue and chronic illness and some of us suffer from anxiety and some from loneliness all those things make life here hard, hard in this life. Still for others, it's, it's a question of identity, especially in the Western world. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? I mean, these basic questions that communities generally answered and help people answer for centuries, we've obliterated that. We don't have a national community. We don't have religious communities. Most of us don't have familial communities. And it was in the context of those communities that we were able to answer these basic questions. Why am I here? Where am I going? And so man is left adrift, directionless, confused, and desperate. We are desperate to find a resurrected life. Desperate to find the newness of life. And so we strive in vain. We strive in vain to make ourselves new. 
to make ourselves alive, more vibrant, more happy. We chase after money. We chase after popularity. Some of us pursue degrees. Others, we want to get that promotion at work, make that CEO, become president of that company. Some of us just say, you know what? I live in America. I'm going to consume as much as I can. And maybe consumption will make me happy. Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe it's indulging myself. Whatever it is that you choose that's not Jesus Christ to pursue, it's all done in vain, and you know that. If you're at all a little bit older, you've pursued it. It didn't bring it, so you pursued something else. It still didn't bring it. Well, here's, here's a newsflash for you. That cycle never ends. That cycle never ends. It's all in vain. But the good news, my friends, for you and for all those in our, our mission field is that the newness of life from our sin-stricken hearts, the power to live, not enslaved to sin, not as a victim of your circumstances, not in an endless pursuit of joy you cannot find, but to live as an image bearer of God for God is offered to you this Resurrection Sunday as a gift, a free gift of grace that all you have to do is take it and open it and then enjoy the blessings of a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit that will redeem you by grace through faith. It means we have to realize we can't fix ourselves. It means turning to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to be made new again. During his earthly ministry, Jesus, most of you know this, Jesus did lots of miracles, three and a half years of miracles. And there are several reasons there in the scriptures, but one of which was to reveal to the church then and then for us today as we look back that the fact that this resurrection power had come down to earth this kingdom power had broken into our space-time continuum. And Jesus proved that by healing people. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. You know this. Hearing to the deaf, cleansing to the leper, mobility to the crippled, sanity to the demon-possessed, and even life to those who had died, like our friend Lazarus. And the benefactors of these miracles, they were all sinners, just like us. And they were all suffering the effects of sin in this fallen world. And then God, through the real power of the resurrection of Christ, brought them healing. Real healing in real time. My beloved, the resurrection of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago offers that same power to you today. This resurrection Sunday, for all who repent and follow Christ, that power is offered to you. The power to live not as a slave to your sins, but in the newness of life, in the joy and the grace of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the first truth about Jesus' resurrection that should encourage you wildly this morning is the fact that you can live a new life in Him, that you can experience what it means to be born again and walk in the newness of life. But that's not the only great news that this passage reveals. It says, yeah, you can live a whole new life now and there's hope of the life to come. There's a resurrection hope that this passage reveals. Point number two, the Christian's new hope. And I say new hope and some of you go, oh, that's Star Wars. Immediately default there. Don't go there. I'm not talking about Star Wars, but I know that's it, new hope. My son said, you can't use that. I said, I'm gonna use it anyway. It's not really a new hope. It's an old hope that's made new. I'll show you that in a minute. But hope means, hope is an expectation, is it not? That when you look at the future, It's going to be good. It's going to be better. Um, That there's something in front of you that's worth living for today. And all of us know, and certainly the 
the statistics are now showing that hope is necessary. Hope in life is necessary. Um, otherwise, life becomes intolerable, and, and suicide is the direction that many turn. Researchers have noticed a, a horrible uptick in suicides, not just since COVID, going all the way back to 2000 to 2018, so in about 18-year period of time, the number of people committing suicide in the United States has increased 36%. 36%. So that, that, that doesn't sound so high. We're talking about people murdering themselves. They're not dying of cancer or a car accident. They're actually going someplace and taking their own lives. To show you the impact on younger people, Suicide now, this is amazing, suicide now is the second leading cause of death for those between the ages of 10 and 14. Second leading cause of death between the ages of 10 and 14. And if you're between the ages of 15 and 24 and you die, one out of every four of those deaths is someone killing themselves. In other words, there is this sense of hopelessness on our culture, and, and the researchers have found this, that when they, they boil it down, regardless of the circumstance or the details of the case, it's hopelessness that leads to the suicide. That there is no hope of going on and therefore better to take my own life. Now the Apostle Paul argues here in Romans 6 that the only way sinful man can have real hope is dying as well. But not by suicide. He says we must die by being united to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. Paul said, For if we, speaking of believers, if we've been united with Christ, united with him, which is Christ, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So by, by dying a death like Jesus's, by crucifying the old self, that old man or that old woman, woman with all the sinful desires, Paul says we experience a resurrection hope. We experience a hope that will not only sustain us when things get really hard here, and God forbid you contemplate suicide, not only sustain us here, but a resurrection hope that is so powerful, it'll actually keep you from practicing sin. It'll keep you from going back to the old man or the old woman and indulging in those sinful desires. And it's not just a spiritual hope as we looked at being born again in the first point. He's talking here about real Physical resurrection for you. For you. In fact, the New Testament, on several occasions, they connect. They make a direct connection between the resurrection of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago and your future resurrection, bodily resurrection from the dead. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, listen to this. If there is no resurrection of the dead, speaking of Christ, that not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He said, if Christ didn't rise, then what hope do we have? But he did, therefore we do. 2 Corinthians 4.14, he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Friends, if the greatest enemy to mankind is death, and it is, then the greatest friend to mankind is someone who comes along and says, I can fix that. I can fix you dying. I can fix your physical death, and I can fix your spiritual death. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the tomb, that first resurrection Sunday, is the very foundation of our hope that one day we too, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, will be raised from the dead. 
Now, I've been, I've been pastoring for 20, 25 years. I've done several grade side services. There is not a single time I don't stand by that open grave and contemplate my body in that casket, in that grave. Not once. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, it causes me to shudder a bit because I know someday my body will be lifeless. Someday my blood will grow cold. Someday I'm going to be sealed in a casket. I'm going to be put into a grave and there's dirt that's going to be put on top of me and it causes me to shiver. I think that's a rational thought. Going into the grave is a horrible thing because we were not made to die. God created us to live forever. forever. But the good news for those who are followers of Jesus Christ is that's not the end of your story. It's not even close to the end of your story. The end of your story, my beloved, it says, Paul says here, is enjoying having a resurrection like his. Well, what was Jesus' resurrection like? Well, he was raised from the dead. He received a new glorified body. No more sickness, no more suffering, no more weakness, no more death came upon him. A resurrection like his that you receive as a follower of Christ means a, a body that can die no more. It means a body that will not suffer the effects of age. Arthritis, cancer, you know the drill. For those of you who are older, you smile because you know the pain. You know what it's like to get old. A body that's made perfectly to reign on the new earth in the new kingdom in the new Jerusalem worshiping God reigning with Christ enjoying God forever without a trace or hint of sin imagine that no temptation no sin no struggle ever in your new physical body yeah it's worth an amen it's so fantastic to think about I'm talking about a resurrection hope so real and so powerful that you can actually stand at that graveside and you can look into that grave and you can say what Paul said so clearly in 1 Corinthians 15. You can say this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, amen? It has no power over you if you're in Christ. Your physical body will be raised if you know the Lord Jesus. It is the very foundation of our hope. And you say, well, that, that's, that's amazing news. What's so incredible here? That's not even the best news that Paul is addressing. He says, not only will you be raised physically from the dead if you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but you will be raised physically to be with him. Look at verse six. Paul says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order the body of sin might be brought to nothing, this, this fleshly body we still live in, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. He says, so being united with Christ, we die with Christ. Our old self has been crucified with Christ so that ultimately these bodies, these bodies that we spend so much time trying to take care of, don't we? These bodies, he said, will ultimately be brought to nothing. Now that's done progressively, as you're, if you're in Christ, you're being sanctified, you're, you're putting sin to death day by day. Romans 8, 13, we put to death the deeds of the body day by day. It's done progressively. But it's also done ultimately on that last day when you take your last breath. This body we will shed and you will be set free permanently forever from all sin, all temptation. Not a trace for you in your glorified state. Look at verse 7. 
For one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, as evidenced of you no longer being bound to sin, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. Our death in Christ leads to our being set free, not just from the power of sin, but set free from the consequence of being separated from God eternally. If you remember in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, they were what? They were cast out of the garden. They were cast out of the presence of God. We know throughout the history of the nation of Israel, when they sinned, God brought discipline upon them to the point where they were actually cast out of the land as well. It's sin in our lives that keeps us separated from God. It's sin in us that keeps us from having access to Jesus Christ, the one we really want to be with. And yet, being with God is the believer's greatest hope. Right? Living with God, being with Christ, knowing Christ, enjoying Christ, is, if, you, if you've been saved by grace, that's what you want the most. If someone said to you today, I, I'll give you any gift, what is it? You'll say, give me Christ, because if I have Christ, I have everything, and if I don't have Christ, I don't have anything. You say, well, I, I want to be forgiven of my sins. I don't, I don't want to be judged. That's good, of course. He said, I want, I want to be raised. I want to be physically raised bodily. I don't want the grave to be my end. That's good too. Those are great and glorious truths. But above all else, the true believer whose heart's been captured by God in Christ wants Christ. The true believer wants to be with him. We want to be forgiven. We want our new bodies. But above all else, we want to be with him. That's what makes the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago such good news. It's not just forgiveness of sin. It's not just overcoming the grave. It's you with God. Now, I don't know what your dreams are. I don't know what your aspirations are for life. But that doesn't get much bigger than that, does it? How do you get bigger than being with God, the creator of all that is seen and unseen? You say, that's what I want. That's a good want, my beloved. That's a great want, to want to be with God. Two chapters earlier, Paul He made it clear in Romans chapter four. He said that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. He was crucified for our sins. And then he said, and he was raised for our justification. Justification is a theological term to describe how we are made righteous before God. How we can stand before God, not as sinners, but as those made righteous by the blood of Christ. And so Jesus' resurrection, it enables us to not be condemned. It enables us to come into the presence of God and be with him, and remain with him, no longer excluded from his presence. The resurrection of Jesus Christ provides direct access into the throne room, into God Almighty. And this is your new hope, my beloved, a bodily resurrection with the Lord forever. There's nothing greater any man or woman can hope for. You know that. Even if you don't know God, you must know that. What what would be greater than knowing God and being with God? It can't be money. (laughs) It, It can't be power. It can't be popularity. It can't be your job, no matter how great your job is. That can't be better than being with God. Knowing Christ, being with Christ, living with Christ in a sinless, glorified, physical eternity. It's your 
ultimate hope even if you don't realize it now. And the only reason you don't realize it is because sin is clouding that. But ask Christ to take away that veil and you'll see you'll want him most and he will grant you access by grace through faith. You remember what Paul said in Philippians 3? Paul got it. Apostle Paul, he said, I want to know Christ. (laughs) He said, I want to know Christ. He says, yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He said, my greatest hope is Christ. And he argued the greatest hope for mankind is Christ. Now, friends, if this is true, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead enables sinful man by grace through faith to not only be born again, to live a new life now and not struggle all the time trying to find happiness or peace or joy, to live a new life now, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ means you are going to be raised from the dead bodily, the grave is not your end, and you get to spend all of eternity in the presence of the living God, well, those two, I would argue, should produce a very, very different life for you. If those two fruits of the resurrection of Jesus Christ are true, and I believe they are because the Bible says they are, then it ought to lead to a new purpose for the Christian. A new purpose, which is actually a very old purpose. Last point, I pray you're still with me, the Christian's new purpose. Now, when I use that word purpose, kind of like I use the word hope, uh, there's meaning behind it, right? So purpose for any created thing, living or inanimate, is not discovered. It's not self-given, Purpose for anything that's made is given by the creator. And that makes sense, right? If you've ever made anything, at the end of that, that that product was made by your hands. Years ago, we have a chain link fence that runs across the back of the property and somebody lovingly came along and they cut one side of the fence so they could go from Woodard out to Camden without walking that horrible distance around one block. So I go out there and I thought, oh, and we had just put the fence up and so I look online, you know, how much is it for a, a chain link fence stretcher? Well, they're very, very expensive. I thought, I don't want to pay for that. So I looked online again, love YouTube, went online and it says, how do you make a chain link fence stretcher on your own? So I got a two by four, I got some metal hooks and I got some ratchet straps and I, and I made one for about six bucks. And we were, we were out there in the corner and I'm wrenching the fence back in, trying to tighten it up and Kirk came out with Abby and Abby looks at this strange-looking contraption. She says, Papa, what's that for? I'm like, oh, I made it. I can tell you exactly what it's for. So I explained to her, and it was a weird-looking thing. As the creator of my homemade chain-link fence stretcher, I determined its purpose. I determined its purpose, and I used it for that purpose. I didn't say to Abby, what? ask it, let it tell you. What do you think it is? Her opinion didn't matter, and certainly the two-by-four's opinion did not matter. The creator's opinion mattered. My beloved, similarly, those made in the image of God, that's you, made by God for God. He determines our purpose. He gives it to us. We don't come up with it on our own. Look at verse 9. Paul talks about this new purpose we have. He said, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Amen. Death no longer has dominion over him. He said, listen, when Christ ascended the cross and he died, 
and then he entered that tomb and rose from the dead, death has no power in his new life. Can't touch him. No impact. He overcame it once and for all. It was passed for Christ. No influence on his new resurrected life. And this is very good news for us. Look at verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for who? Once for all. And now we're included. Mankind gets to participate in Jesus dying to sin and death for us. See, by by Christ becoming a man and becoming fully human, truly human, he suffered like humans do. And, And he suffered death, the death that we all must face. But in doing so, he broke the curse of death that was placed upon us back in Genesis chapter three when Adam and Eve sinned. He broke that curse once and for all. All mankind, every tribe, tongue, and nation is given an opportunity through Christ to overcome death too. Through repentance and faith by turning from your sins and turning to the living God to turning to Jesus Christ, we too participate in this death that Christ experienced once for all. You can be part of that all by faith in Christ. Look at verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So by bearing the consequences for for our sins upon the cross and then rising physically from the grave, Jesus killed, Jesus murdered. You can say Jesus is a murderer. Jesus murdered death. Oh, hallelujah. He put sin and death to death permanently. And he created, one commentator said, he created this irreversible transformation. A new life that can't go back to the old life. A new life that doesn't want anything to do with the old life. This irreversible transformation where death has no more impact. Look at the latter part of verse 10 again. The life he, Jesus, lives, he lives to God. Now we can say, wait a minute, he's always lived for God. True. When he was walking the face of this earth, every thought Jesus had, every word he spoke, every action he engaged in was literally perfectly pleasing to the Father. He only did what was in accordance with the Father's will. So he was always living to God. But now, With sin and death conquered, this crucified, risen Savior, he reveals the end and name for all mankind that we too can now live for God if we are united to Christ. Look at verse 11. Paul says, so you also, all you who profess Christ as Lord and Savior, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word consider in the translation in the ESV is a very weak word. It it, it can be better translated reckon. It's an accounting term. It's an accounting term saying that a debt has been reconciled. So although Jesus never sinned, he bore our sins on the cross, having buried them in the tomb and being raised. All those who put their faith in this resurrected Savior, your sins are reckoned too. Your sins are forgiven and paid in full by God because he punished his son instead. That's why Paul says, you also, just like Christ, you also must consider, you must reckon yourself dead to sin. Why? Because you are. If you've been united with Christ, you're dead to sin. 
That old man, that old woman have been put to death. You are to live now with this irreversible transformation taking place. Not going back to the old ways, not going back to serving yourself, but living as you were created to live. Your purpose was to what? To live for God. Made by God for God. To worship God. To enjoy God. To serve God. To live your whole life here and then for all eternity praising our great King. Verse 11 again. You must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. To be alive to God in Christ means by the power of Jesus Christ, by the power of His resurrection, your life, your purpose, everything you do will be for God and for His glory. Now again, that's been, that was our purpose in the very beginning before sin entered in Genesis chapter 3. So the purpose hasn't changed, but what's happened here is Christ is now bringing it back to us. And He's saying, I'm giving you back your purpose. Instead of perverting your purpose by living as you want to live and not for your creator, I'm giving it back to you. See, we know that we know that the original purpose was perverted when sin entered so that mankind does not worship God as we're supposed to. At the very beginning of this letter in Romans chapter 1, Paul said this, he said, For although they, speaking of all mankind, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Listen to this. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Any idol, any, any false religion, anything you've attached your hope to other than the real God. So Christ came along and he takes the perversion of man's purpose, which was to serve and glorify himself, and he makes it straight. He makes it right again. And he brings that back to us. Those of us who have been born again. Those of us who have put our hope in a resurrected Savior. To live for a very, very different purpose. And the good news is, by dying to ourself and following Christ for the first time in your life, you will actually experience real joy. You will know real peace. You're... God's purpose for you in worshiping him was to be as you were supposed to be, a joy-filled worshiper of the living God. The only way, my beloved, a created being can actually have right joy is by living in accordance with their created purpose. It's the only way. The only way you, being created in the image of God, can actually have that sense of joy and peace that transcends all understanding, as Paul talks about in Philippians, is to know and worship the living God. To have your purpose determined by Him, not by you. Now this is something that all of creation, with the exception of fallen angels, they get. Implicitly. When we are living in accordance with our created nature, when we're exercising our created purpose, there is joy. Uh, when I was younger, I had an Australian shepherd. and For those of us who know how Australian shepherds are, they are, they are high energy animals. They're high energy because God, cre- God created them to, to herd. And, and my shepherd, like most, they're always shepherding, they're always herding, wherever they are. They're herding people, they herd children, they herd animals. So when I would take my Australian shepherd out and she'd have an opportunity to herd, I mean, she would just 
exuberant. I mean, if you could say a dog was emotionally happy, I would say that she was a very, very happy animal. Then I'd bring her home, and Monday morning would come, and the house would be empty, and she'd sit for 10 hours. And I'd come home, and she was depressed, walking around, no place to run, no one to shepherd, right? God made her to shepherd. When she was not shepherding, she was miserable. Now, she could not articulate, well, you're not letting me exercise my purpose. She could not say that. But I knew, God knows. Friends, you were created in the image of God to worship God, to enjoy God, to serve Him, not yourself. That's your created purpose. If you live for your own glory or for your own pleasure, you are actively fighting against your God-given purpose. You're actually working against your own joy. That's one of the reasons we're so miserable. We think that if I reject God and I pursue my flesh, whatever I want, if I go after that, then I'll be happy. And we go and we strive and we continue to pursue, and yet we're miserable. Not only are you denying yourself the true joy and satisfaction that God intends for you as an image bearer of his, which is the highest in his created order, you are subjecting yourself to the ravages of death physical death, you will not be raised from the grave, not in a glorified state, and eternal death, which is eternal judgment of this holy God. Otherwise, you remain dead. You remain dead. Friends, you were made by God for God. He determines your purpose and way of life. Not you, not, not your inner truth, not the culture, not social media. Praise God for that. Jesus died and rose from the dead to make right what sin broke. He died and he rose to overcome the power of sin and death so that sinners like us could be made alive for God. Truly alive. His resurrection 2,000 years ago is much more than an historical fact. It is the very foundation of our faith. It is the only hope sinful man has of being born again, filled with hope, and living a purpose-filled life. It's our only hope, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's good for the world to stop and to remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's even better, my beloved, when God's people live each day in accordance with that power. New lives, new hope, new purpose, all for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, your love for sinful man is truly extraordinary. The fact that you would send your your beloved son, your sinless son to come and become a man and then ascend that cross and, and pay for our sins to be punished in our place. There is no greater love and no greater expression of love than Christ on the cross. Father, I praise you for being such a loving creator, for not leaving us in the sin and death that we made ourselves. I praise you for 
sending your son to that cross and then raising him on the third day in fulfillment of scriptures that we too might be raised. That we might have hope beyond the grave. Father, bless my brothers and sisters and all those who have gathered here this morning with this truth. Press it upon us, Father, that we might understand it. Encourage us with it, Father, that we might live by it. Help us to see the power of the resurrection today, not some 2,000-year-old fact, but real power today for those in Christ. I praise you for this glorious Resurrection Sunday, and I ask, Lord, that you would be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen.